Hey team, Christy here. Just wanted to give you a quick update that this week's episode was recorded in advance as we as a nation kind of figure out how to deal with this uncharted territory that we are all experiencing regarding COVID-19 and the economic impact that it's creating. We just wanted you to know that we're going to keep putting out content. A lot of these episodes were recorded in advance, but wanted to make you aware that we're here and we understand that all of you are feeling the impact of this as we are as well. Stay safe, stay healthy, and talk to you soon. Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 40 of Transition Talk where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So there are a lot of important topics to cover when looking at a transition and one of them is the structure, stock sale or asset sale. The structure can greatly impact you from a tax and legal perspective, and it determines the legal documents and your diligence path. This is a super hot button topic with very strong opinions on both sides. And while we believe that most dental practice sales are structured as asset sales, and rightly so, there are certain specialties and transition teams that default to the stock sale model. As with everything we do, we think the first step is education, and so today we're going to dive into the differences between the two sales types and what they may mean for you. But before we get going, Charles Loretto, what's happening in your world? Hello, Miss Radcliffe. Hello. I got two quick funny stories. When I spoke for years at all these dental schools, I would put on this one little section about a stock sale, I said, look, if you only hear one thing in this entire lecture and you just just hear one thing whatever you do do not buy a stock sale <laughs> okay <laughs> and then I'd run the math for them we'll run the math later and so then I'd run into people maybe five or seven years later and say yeah I think I heard you at a dental school I was like well okay well just out of curiosity what do I talk about well I could tell you loved your kids and I remember something about call you if it was a stock sale because that was bad. I was like, great, 45 minutes and all you got is two <laughs> minutes out of the deal. <laughs> Wonderful. You did say if you remember nothing else. From That's the right. Center, that, this is this. This, one this is so true. <laughs> I got to tell you a funny story. Okay. So uh, Tim and I. Tim Greaves and I, we go to the Seattle Study Club Symposium, you know, every year you've been to that. And so this year we're in Phoenix. And this year, I don't know, I think I'm just getting older, but I'm just constantly living in a city where I've got lots of moisture in Dallas. I go to this dry city, I'm like drinking water bottles at night and I'm like super dehydrated. So I tell my buddy Tim, I'm like, I where'd you get that water? Because in like the food station, there wasn't water. There's like coffee and tea and whatever, but I want water. I said, where'd you get that? He goes, that's inside the lecture. So I go inside the lecture room and the lecture room, it's pitch back. So it's like going into a movie, you know, where it's dark and the, they got the white screen up top and got the speaker. And so I could see that the water jug, the little five gallon drug, it was over to the left. But now I have to walk like halfway down like the audience crowd. Okay, can you, can you picture? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking down. I know people are kind of looking over to the left like, okay, well, there's a the big guy and he's going to get water. So I get the water bottle underneath it, the NDP water bottle, and I'm like pushing the button, but I can't figure it out. Like, it's a tricky one. It's not just the all just push it in. So I'm trying to push. I'm doing a little pull. I'm pushing and pulling. It's got to that awkward stage where it's like a good 30 seconds of the guy where they're standing there. And he can't figure out. I'm kind of bending over. It's super dark. So I'm so embarrassed at this point. So I did a fake water. Where <laughs> Christy, I pretended that the water went in the in the jug, <laughs> and then I pretended to drink it, and then like look at the lecture and then walk out. 
<laughs> oh my god, I was so embarrassed. Oh, but uh, I told I told Tim, man, we just died laughing when I came back to the booth. So I finally went back in when the lights were off, and he had to show me how it worked. <laughs> Good that it was a tricky premium water. Right. Bottle. I didn't have my I didn't have my readers on. I'm just so sad. It's just oh thank goodness I have like one or two other skill sets. Uh, apparently not looking in the not looking at water bottles. <laughs> so I wanted to share uh, and the people who know me when you go out to dinner with me, I'm always gonna tell you other stories like this because I have like endless amounts of stories. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh. Well good. Well yeah, no no super embarrassing stories for me. I do want to make one disclaimer though. We were speaking, went to Asda, you were not there. Everyone wanted to know where the tall gray-headed guy was but had someone walk up to me and they said oh, where is your husband? And I literally probably looked baffled. I was like, with my children at home? Like, so confused. Then it registered with me that they thought we were married. Oh my gosh. Just a disclaimer, not married. (laughs) Just work, husband and work wife. Husband that's it. Life. Yes, not not but home. Chris and Roxanne would probably have right. problems with that. Yeah, so, probably would. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, it was a little actually red face there too when I realized what they were saying. So no, no big embarrassing stories. I was able to function all the water containers at Asa. Good job, Christy. <laughs> well, we have a big topic today. Like I said at the top, asset sales, stock sales, really important topic. But I would say it's probably one of those things where when people come to us and they say, "Hey, we'll go over this opportunity," and we have that first call. people don't know what type of sale is being put on the table or offered. Yeah, well, I would say both buyer and seller. So even a seller would come to say, we're going to transition. Hey, how does this thing work with the assets? And so, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's important first and foremost is I always want to tell people, how do you know if it's a stock sale or asset sale based upon what you've been given? Clearly, if you just have tax returns and financials, you're not going to know. But for some people, they get a valuation, they get a proposal, they've had multiple conversations with the seller, and so words have been thrown out into sure. the kind of environment, of, and they have to kind of decipher what those are. Nancy drew them. So my first and foremost is if I'm getting kind of a proposal for evaluation or a transition, words like interest in shares. So if I'm going to buy interest in something, if I'm clearly shares a little more kind of out there, but interest is a kind of a word that often is used in a stock sale that doesn't automatically trigger for some people that that's what that means. So mm-hmm. if you see interest, that's clearly what that means. If you're given a value, if the value is a debt-free value, that always means asset sale as well because it means we're going into it to buy the debt-free, we're not buying liabilities, we're just buying kind of the assets of a business. Yeah, and usually you hear just a comment that's just you're buying into the corporation. So buying the corporation, again, that same thing on buying it as a stock sale. So we'll get more into the difference between the two, but you certainly want to know the difference because it will impact you significantly. Oh, absolutely. And another thing, there's a couple more. If you are going to be taking over the liabilities, that's oftentimes on an asset sale. And if the documents you've been given give you an asset allocation, that's another big indicator that it's an asset sale, not a stock sale. I would say probably 90% of what we look at is, is presented as an asset sale and completes as an asset sale. There are definitely specialties and types of practices that are, and like I said, transition teams that always put together stock sales. Mm-hmm. And there's reasons for that, and we'll touch on those during our time together today. But just kind of wanted to give you some helpful hints if you have something you're looking at and you're not sure what it is, little clues to kind of try to figure that out without having to ask the question. Okay, so let's get into the first. If you've ever Googled asset sale and stock sale, a bunch of articles come up and kind of read through those. 
highly encourage you to do so, different perspectives. But one of the pieces that some people forget, we talk a lot about, and we'll spend the majority of our time today on the financials and tax impact, but another piece that sometimes gets kind of lost in the shuffle is the liability. And when I say that, I mean the legal liability. So if I am going to buy into a business or buy a business via a stock sale, then I'm going to be buying the entity. So I'm actually buying the actual corporate entity that holds or whatever type of entity it is, holds the practice. And with that, I'm buying its history. I'm buying its cash, its assets, it's like their AP, anything. But I'm also buying whatever's happened historically with that practice. So you want to really be cautious. Um, it does require a little bit of extra diligence to make sure that what you're buying, that you understand what that is, and you're willing to take on that liability because there is a level there that from a legal perspective, you have to be wary of. Yeah, no doubt. So if you're buying you know, dental practice and that guy or gal leaves you know, tomorrow, but you buy that corporation, so something can happen a month previous inside that corporation from with a patient perspective and all of a sudden they're going to sue, then they're going to sue that corporation. That corporation typically has maybe a pension plan. Typically, in that case, they probably kept the same pension plan. And so now all the liability that was underfunded in that, now you're taking it over. Maybe it was the payroll that was done wrong because they were doing the payroll tax. All of those things are going to fall under the actual entity. So that's why you typically on an asset sell, typically when you purchase a new practice, you will set your brand new corporation up and that you will purchase you know the assets from that practice. But now all of a sudden... If something were to happen from a a liability standpoint, they're going back to the original owner of that corp and not you, the new owner. Yeah, and clearly we're not attorneys, and that's why the attorneys are involved and part of this, and maybe there's language you're going to add into agreements. But again, it's just something to keep in mind as you kind of start your relationship, especially if you don't know this person, you've never met them, you found it on a broker site, you don't really know what you're getting into. So we kind of tend to lean more towards assets for that reason. For sure. The bigger reason for us is the tax impact and the financial impact to both the buyer and seller. And I think it's important to look at it from both perspectives because you're going to be on one side of the coin now and the other side later. And so I think it's important to understand the difference between an asset and stock sale from both a buyer and seller's perspective. So we're going to kind of break down each. Let's start with the capital gain rate versus ordinary rate. That's what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a seller and you sell a business, you're going to be hit with taxes. There's no way to totally eliminate the taxes you're going to have to pay. And what taxes you're going to have to pay is, is going to be based on what you're selling. And it's going to be either a capital gains rate, which is that lower tax rate, 20%, or it's going to be ordinary income rates, which max is 37 right now. 37 on your federal plus your state tax. So yeah, you could be in that 40 plus percent range on the ordinary income. Yeah. So you're right. So let's start with asset sale. So Charles, do you want to take it if from a seller and buyer kind of what is the perspective if I'm doing this in an asset sale what are the what's the tax impact for me as a seller and what's the tax impact as a buyer okay so basically when you're purchasing a practice and we're just going to use simple numbers that the practice purchase price is one million dollars so that's simple math uh, maybe the practice uh, collection was like a million three. So the bottom line is you are borrowing $1 million to purchase this practice on an asset sale or as a seller, you're selling $1 million. So what you would want to know is what percent of the overall practice is allocated to a group, the assets in a group called in this example, the goodwill. So the goodwill is important to know because that's the one that's taxed from the seller standpoint at that capital gains rate, which is roughly the max rate is 20%. It could be as little as 15, 
but in general, you're receiving a lot of money for these transactions, and so typically you're going to be at that 20% tax rate. So if you blend the two, so what's going to take place is for the seller, their advisor, and maybe, Christy, if we're doing the valuation, we're going to have this asset allocation. A general rule is that about 80%, 75%, 80% of the overall price of the practice, we're going to allocate towards that goodwill. The remaining 15, 20, 25% of the practice is going to be assigned to the actual assets. This is your furniture, your fixtures, supplies. You, yep. And so that dollar amount on the assets themselves as a seller, you're going to be taxed at the higher rate. And I'll give you an example here in a second. But what you need to know as a buyer is that you will have the ability to write off this entire million dollars through a period of one, five, seven, 15 year period. So you get to write off the entire thing from the asset standpoint. And they're going to put certain amount in certain buckets that get you get to write off on certain amount of years. So what you need to know is a short version is on an asset sell as a buyer, this million dollars we allocated to different buckets and you will get to depreciate that over the life of this amortization schedule, in this case, up to like 15 years. So this is a good thing. You want to buy something and you want the ability to write it off. As a seller, you will also when you receive the money, you will have a tax consequence to this transaction. So the more you can put to goodwill, the better for you seller. Typically, if it's around that 80%, so in this example, actually I ran an example of 85% just to show you the extremes. So on a million dollar transaction, if we did 100% stock sale, and that's because your advisor told you to do that, you would have to pay 20% tax or $200,000. So in that example, okay, great. Horrible for the buyer because they get to write off zero of that. In the example, we did an asset sell and we put 85% of the assets towards goodwill. So 85%, $850,000 at a 20% tax rate, and then the remaining 15% at a 40% tax rate, you basically are only paying $230,000 of total tax. So the point is an asset sell for a seller can be very good and the asset sell for the buyer could be really good because it can't be where the asset sells all one-sided to the seller and they get zero write-offs, it needs to be a fair transaction where my buyers get the ability to write off this entire purchase price as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's important to understand what that is. I think that there's this just kind of misconception that in an asset sale, everything gets taxed at this ordinary. We forget that a large portion of what you're going to be allocating in any, I mean, not just talking about asset sale versus stock sale, we just talk about valuation in general, the value of your practice is a lot of goodwill. It's the profitability of your business and your reputation and all of those pieces that make up that goodwill. And so, and if you think about your dental equipment, especially in most practices have older equipment and not super old, but not super new. And so that stuff depreciates really quickly. And so the value of that equipment is low, even though it's producing kind of your business. So when you think about that, the million dollar practice it is not uncommon. It's actually super uncommon to see that tangible piece be very high. And when I say tangible, again, equipment, supplies, non-compete, most of the time that is a 250 or less if on a million dollar price. So, you know, those numbers that Charles just gave us, those are real everyday breakdown of numbers. And I just don't think that's the, oh, I'm going to have to pay ordinary tax is the fear that's out there versus really just showing you what those numbers look like. 
we've actually suggested that someone pay more for a practice to switch it to an asset sale versus a stock sale because one, there was room in the price. It made sense in the deal. Um, and the, the write-offs the buyer was going to get by far exceeded kind of that additional interest. Yeah. So expand on that. Would you rather pay a million dollars for a practice and get zero write-offs? Would you rather pay a million and maybe $50,000 mm-hmm. and the ability to deduct the full million fifty over a 15-year period because you're a 30-year-old person? We're going to run that math all day mm-hmm. and figure out a way to perhaps negotiate something else in the deal to make up for that $50,000. It could be in rent. It could be their work-back period. Maybe different percentages on the accounts receivable, something. One more thing I want to mention on here is with regards to that asset allocation that we were just talking about, that 85 and 15, the 80 and the 20, many times a buyer might be working with a CPA that doesn't have the experience in dental, but they have the experience to where they know that the larger percentage of this practice purchase that we can put in the furniture fixture bucket that the better ability for them to write it off faster. And so we've seen where we work with a seller and then the buyer has a CPA and they all of a sudden write an offer and they're going to pay us maybe the million dollars, but they want a half a million dollars allocated to the furniture and fixture when you just can't make these numbers up there. These valuations of these equipment is something that we can get both from their balance sheet, both from the depreciation schedule and from an equipment specialist to come in to assess what those values are. Yeah. And I mean, it works on the reverse side too, right? So you can't as a seller, we can't say, okay, well, we want 95% allocated to goodwill. I mean, you have equipment that's worth something. We can't say it's worth $5,000, right? So there's, there is a level of reasonableness that both CPAs are going to have to sign off on. At the end of the day, an equipment appraisal has some subjectivity, right? I mean, one appraiser goes in and says it's worth X. Another goes in and says it's for Y. They're probably within a reasonable range of each other. They're all subjective numbers, but they also have to be reasonable. Your CPAs have to understand them. They have to they should be dental specific, again, so we understand what those numbers look like. And I also think it's important, too, to understand as a buyer, you know, sometimes buyers will be like, well, that's not fair, you know, I think more should be allocated to tangible and I get to write it off faster. I have heard some planners and some CPAs say there's actually a benefit in having write-offs later down the road when, because then, you know, you start off your practice, you might not need as many write-offs as right. you need. Your income's down the road. lower. Yeah. Right. Later you need more write-offs. And so having that 15 year goodwill, while it seems, you know, unjust at the beginning is actually beneficial to you mm-hmm. later. So just kind of big picture, what makes the most sense um, and just being open, right? If you're a seller and a buyer comes to you and wants to change the structure because someone told you to structure it this way, let's just open ears and think about it. Again, if you're a buyer and someone wants a seller, which leads us to our next point, what if you're a buyer and a seller says, hey, I want a stock sale and they're not willing to budge, right? They're clearly buyers we're working with right now and worked with historically and we do stock sales. What I want to make sure we don't put across here is that if someone presents a stock sale, you walk away, Correct. right? Because that is not what we're saying. The question I think we have to ask is why? If a seller says, hey, I want this stock sale, there's no other option. I think the first question I would have is, well, are you buying the whole thing or is it a partnership? Because maybe I'm wrong, but there's very few situations where a walk away stock sale makes sense to me, right? Yeah, the call yesterday was uh, 1.6 million. It's a surgery practice. It's very, very specific, uh, orthodontic type practice. And so it nets 65%. 
So it nets almost a million bucks. That's like 900. Price is 700. Okay. Yeah. So this is a no brainer. Yeah. So if that deal was a stock sell only and draw the line in the sand, we're probably still going to buy it. Yeah. You know, we're not going to, oh, it's stock sell. It's bad. You know, yeah, it's bad, but overall the deal is good. So yeah. again, you always want to look first, high level, like and love the area, collections overhead, can't do the work. You're basically going to walk through all of that. Then this is just a component of the deal. And then it's a way that, uh, again, our job is to facilitate and educate you on this. And, and one more point, because I can think of a seller too that was really hard nosed on that we worked with. And uh, he had brand new comb beam, brand new laser, brand new everything. And so he had like you know, like four hundred thousand dollars of assets on the books, and it was like a million five practice. And he wanted to allocate; it wanted to be like a, a ninety percent goodwill, and that's gotten his line in the sand. Well, you can't just line in the sand that. I mean, I'm not going to be on this. I'm not going to sit there and say that I know for a fact this piece of equipment's worth $400,000 because it's less than a year yeah. old and be on the advisor end to say, hey, this is where we're at and we're just going to put a 150 number and they're just going to say, well, I'll sign the tax return or I'll sign this. And, and no, I'm not going to do it. No, absolutely. And I think also sometimes sellers come to the table and they don't know, right? Like we said earlier, maybe they have hired someone to put together a deal and the deal that's been put together is a stock sale. They have no idea. The right. That's true. The two. Very so true. The question that we ask is why, like, why are they wanting a stock sale? In some cases, um, and this is true in partnerships, sometimes their existing partnership is structured that way. And so you're buying into a multi-doctor practice. I get it. I understand that that makes sense. Or they don't want to change EINs, which we'll talk about in a second. They don't, you know, they don't want to create a new entity, which is required if you do an asset sale. They don't want to have to change over insurances and, and whatever might exist. I get it. Maybe the reimbursement rates are good. So there are reasons that stock sales are okay. There are certain specialties that we see them more often than others in partnerships. So those are all valid reasons for there to be a partnership, but if that's what's being presented, we want to know why. We want to make sure the why makes sense and make sure that whatever the why reason is, is not something that we can easily solve with, you know, one tweak to an asset sales structure or something in a legal agreement or, you know, some other piece. I think it's important to understand that asset sales in general are more complicated than a stock sale from a legal document perspective, right? They oftentimes require, and this is really in partnerships, they require different entities, right, to be created. They require a few more extra documents. And so sometimes what I hear when we're talking about that is stock sales are simpler, they're more straightforward. We really just wanted to make this easy, and yes. this is what we're doing. Those are costly. Now you have different entities you're going to have to pay taxes for and accounting for and all of these things, and this is why we're trying to be more simple. But what I think sometimes we fail to forget is that then that partnership has to operate in that structure that was easy to create for the future. And is that partnership in that structure actually easier in the future? In our experience, it's actually probably more complicated in the future to actually operate. It is more money, extra tax returns, some extra accounting, but I think the benefits of having the flexibility of kind of that multiple structure asset type sale outweigh some of those costs. Yeah, in the end, I always tell people is there's a measurement of this cost and benefit. So if it makes financial sense to set a different entity up, it makes financial sense to pay for the additional accounting, 
and you can save money from a tax planning perspective in this model. It's going to save you maybe in Social Security tax. It may be, be more creative on how you run things for your business or how you depreciate the assets. This is an immeasurable event by having these multiple any structures set up in a traditional asset sell. And I do think that a lot of advisors just kind of mail that in, maybe a broker, or maybe a local accountant that's just kind of putting this deal together. And they go, hey, that's just it's just simpler this way. There is definitely a time and place that complexity makes more sense. And I've seen, you know, a lot of times you'll see these stock sales that it's like, well, why are you doing it? Well, this is the way the guy did it back in 1980. And four different, five different, six different people have bought into this practice. And you can literally look at the tax return and you can see in the C-Corp or whatever that was established that it was formed in 1979. And it was some guy's dad, and he did it this way. He brought this guy in, he brought that guy in. And it just that's just how we just kept doing it, Charles. And in the end, you got to look at it and say, you're running a six, seven million dollar business now, and it's just inefficient to all the parties, and this is why. Yeah, I mean, S Corps are really popular right now. And if you have a partnership in an S Corp, it's complicated to pay yourselves, right? And so it's just understanding why and then understanding the ramifications of going along with that structure for your partnership. Maybe the way it's set up and the entity style that you're buying into makes sense. They've got a process, there's reasons. And, you know, we look at it, check, 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 you know, not ideal, not the way we'd want it to be, but let's tweak X, Y, and Z to make it a little more reasonable and fair. And, yep. and, and overall, again, the cash flows, the deal makes sense. And this is something you should do. So it's not, I've said it a hundred times, there, to me, there are really no red flags in any of these transitions, but seeing a stock sell versus an asset sale is a big yellow waving flag that makes me stop and say, why are we doing this? And let's understand and be educated about the reasoning. Okay. So there's one other thing that I want to talk about when we talk about asset and stock sales. And it's a reason sellers will often say, yes, I have put it forth as a stock sale, but I've actually made it where buyer, you are paying with pre-tax dollars, sweat equity, deferred compensation, whatever the term's going to be. Um, and therefore your tax argument that you just made to make it an asset sale really isn't true for you. Okay. And so how often do we see that? What type of business do we normally see that in? Kind of what are your thoughts on that deferred compensation split equity model? Okay. So let's pretend this is a 0% financing. And let's say, Christy, that you're my seller and I'm your buyer and the practice purchase, my buy-in's a million bucks. So it's probably a two and a half million dollar business, the value is at two million, million bucks. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to be kind enough to do some type of sweat equity deal. And basically, instead of me making, see, we know we make a two million, it's got a 50% over 2.5, $2.5 million business. Uh, we make a million to, so you make 600 and I make 600, but you're going to be kind enough and just allow me to buy in. And so therefore, instead of me making 600, I'm going to make 500. Okay. So that's my sweat equity on my buy-in. So in that scenario, you're going to be making 700. I'm going to be making 500 over this, call it 10 year period. In my mind, it's a pretty good deal yeah. because I didn't have to pay tax on that. For you, it's horrible. That's like the worst possible thing ever because that additional hundred grand you're paying, you're paying at the highest federal and state tax bracket. You're, you're over 600 of the federal, plus you're playing your state. You're probably in the 43, 45%. So you've got horrible tax plans. That's the worst thing for you as a seller. Now, for me as a buyer, that's not a bad deal, 
But remember, I just bought into a stock sale. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Eventually, you old person are going to be getting out. I'm going to bring somebody in. And guess what's going to happen to me? I'm going to get lack of better terms screwed now because I'm going to do the whole deferred comp because that's what I did. We're going to do the same method we did before because that's what was good for me. Or that senior guy, you told the next person they had a little model and now there's three doctors and then this person's and that's how it's going to work. So just you can't just like take these old methods and just assume it's just all going to work out. Eventually, you need to think about how you're getting in the deal, how the deal is going to work and how you're eventually going to get out of the deal. Yeah, And it matters if it's this deferred comp versus with kind of no interest and it's just kind of a shift or a seller finance, which is where it's really just a note, right? That's actually, you're just getting a loan, you're buying in all at once and you're paying back over time. That is not deferred comp. That is just seller financing. Those two things kind of get confused, but those are handled very separately. You can have seller financing in a stock sale. You can have seller financing in an asset sale. And it seems like it's the same because you're probably paying it back, you know, kind of through kind of whatever profits you make. But they're at very different points. A seller's financing, that that payment is after tax. It's just like you would pay the bank. Deferred compensation is more before. It's a shift of profits. Um, and it's treated as ordinary income to the seller. So different types of payments that look similar. And some of our buyers do get those confused, but an important distinction. Let me give you that example again. So now all of a sudden it's a stock sale and we're not doing a deferred compensation. So my compensation is not, doesn't go from six to five. My compensation is 600, your compensation is 600. Except you are now going to, on that $100,000 payment that I write you a check, mm-hmm. I now I'm going to write that check to you, but I don't get a tax action. I don't get any depreciation of that entire event. So that $1 million of that $2 million valuation, I don't get to write it off. Mm-mm. And so therefore... Maybe a little bit of interest. Yeah, you get your interest. Yeah. That's right. You're going to get your interest, but you're not going to get the actual portion of the goodwill and the portions of furniture and fixtures that I want. Because now all of a sudden when you make $600,000, what's your biggest issue? It's taxes. So many times people get into these situations and then they realize what a true stock sale is after the fact Mm -hmm. because then they're like I thought I got all this tax write off no you don't so it's important parts but one of the reasons why I said if you get one or two things right from this lecture make sure you understand the asset versus the stock sale yeah and and there are 101 ways to do a transaction to structure it we have seen something that's kind of a, a mixture between a stock sale and asset sale and oh, yeah. the, the way the entity was set up. And so, you know, we looked at it, looked at the ability to write off and there was still an asset piece of it and there was still an ability to, to kind of make a deduction. But because of the seller and their CPA and their attorney yep. and kind of what they wanted, they created this and it was more complex, but it got everyone what they wanted right. and it was fine. So there are 754 elections. There's things that I beyond me from a tax perspective there are ways to do these things but again it's understanding impact now impact later tax impact legal impact there's a bunch of things to consider here and you kind of just have to know versus trust that this is what's happened before and this is what I'm going to do and I don't really understand it but they said it's good for me yeah there's a, a big group big firm out on the east coast and they put that combo asset stock sale together all the time you know, whatever they got a fee of 40 plus thousand dollars, the seller has put this deal together. The associate's been there for two years. 
associate all of a sudden gets word that we represent the buyer. They call us, they're at the 11th hour. I mean, certainly we're not here to wreck the deal. You know, we're just here to explain that level of, of planning and complexity, both in the deal and again, again, how it's going to work and then kind of what to think about on, on the backside when they do eventually buy the senior guy out or bring the third guy in or the fourth or fifth, whoever it may be. Yep. And I think it's important for us too to point out that there are, you know, administratively, and we touched on it earlier with the accounting and tax costs of all these various entities, if you're a partnership doing an asset sale or a stock sale, you know, there are new things, right? I mean, you have to create a new entity IN and new relationships with insurance companies and new payroll and new merchant services and all of these things that are burdensome and administratively taxing initially. But I think that the ability from a buyer's perspective, while yes, all those new relationships have to be created, you don't just get to take over these contracts from a seller. That's also an opportunity that you don't have to take over those contracts. That you get to negotiate new agreements and new rates and new relationships from a seller's perspective. Yes, you're not selling your entity, you're keeping it. But for a lot of sellers, that's, you know, over 30 years, it's not the only thing you do in that entity. What if you're going to work back as an independent contractor and and use that entity? What if you still need to have some retirement monies go there? So I think there's some pluses and minuses on both sides. And I don't want to, like, wash over those as nothing. I mean, it is, there are things to consider. But again, flexibility, long-term what's challenging now don't just do what's whatever's easiest now because i think down the road you might kick yourself yeah a quick example for what we close up here is is it could be a 10 million dollar surgery practice that's got unbelievable you know reimbursement rates that are are through the roof and you wouldn't be able to get those types of rates if you set this new entity up with the multiple corps so therefore we've looked at that level of detail and just made a, a decision that it makes sense to leave that EAN as is and just maybe continue to have the fifth and sixth doctor purchasing in under the stock sale because of yeah. that. So uh, like I said, it is something that you do have to measure out and to figure out, does this make financial sense for me? And that's what I like about what we do. There's kind of a right or wrong answer. Me too. And that's <laughs> so funny. We're on the same wavelength because I think is that, you know, in summary, I think what we've talked about today is if we had to pick one, what would we pick? Asset sale, right? All day long. But I also think that there's no right or wrong answer. There's clearly a favored reason. There's clearly one that's probably most used in the dental industry, which is the asset sale. But there are clear reasons to do both. And just, again, education, understand what you're doing, understand the impact long term, and just really kind of dive in. And you're going to be a business owner and you need to understand this is kind of the first step. And so we're happy to be here to be a resource. But that's a good note. One more funny story is Christy, right when we started, she said, oh, yeah, Noah, the guy who edits our podcast. She's like, I don't know about the Charles guy, but he, get, I can tell when he talks, he gets very, very excited. I think he's like hitting on the desk or something, but tell him to stop doing that. So if I made listen, big notes. No, if you listen closely during your water bottle story, you banged a lot on the desk. <laughs> so Noah has his work cut out for him. Noah, thank you for all of your efforts. <laughs> I've had to hold my hands today. So uh, <laughs> that's it for today. Remember to subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Have a great weekend. All right, thanks, guys.